when it comes to reinvention, people think it's about becoming someone else. And it naturally seems that way, right? If you just think about it, like the pure definition of the word, it feels like it's really about becoming someone else. But one of the biggest things that I've learned along the journey, perhaps the most important thing is that reinvention has nothing to do with becoming someone else. And it has everything to do with becoming who you really are. You're listening to The Follow, a multicultural podcast from creative agency Sanders Wingo, where we help people get smarter about culture by talking to up-and-coming BIPOC creators, movement makers, and thought leaders who we follow. In this episode, we speak to Roger Osorio, author of upcoming book, The Journey to Reinvention, and founder of The School of Reinvention, where he helps people find success and reinvent their lives on their terms, using their own values, passion, and purpose. In our conversation, he talks about his unique journey from the inner city in New Jersey to Penn State University, to a successful career as an inspirational speaker, educator, and coach, who now uses his unique methods to help others reinvent themselves. Hosting this conversation is Keith Saunders, strategic planner at Sanders Wingo. Now, here's Keith. Roger, thank you so much for being on the Follow Podcast. Very much appreciate it. So just to start off, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and what you do. Yes, I am an author, a coach, and a speaker. Uh, my topic is reinvention. Right now, I have the my own business called The School of Reinvention, where I help people define success on their terms and reinvent themselves to go get it. I've been on my own journey to reinvention since 2005, when I realized that life was just not in alignment with what mattered to me, my values, my passion, my purpose, and I decided to do something about it. And it's really been a journey. I actually thought I'd only reinvent myself one time, only to realize that it's actually been a lifetime of reinvention. Then almost, gosh, I think it'll be in a couple of years, it'll be 20 years on the journey. And it has been just one reinvention after another, but always in alignment with what matters to me. So on your website, as you mentioned, you touched on, it says you've gone through reinventions such as finance degree, strategic marketing, national account sales, master's in psychology, MBA, educational consultant, teacher, executive coach, speaker, international speaker, Ivy League faculty. Now that's really, really impressive. So the question I want to ask to that is, what were you exposed to when you were younger that you think helped put you on a path? to where you are today, to have that belief in reinvention? Yeah, you know, one of the things I think that for me was really important, there was a part of me, I think, when I was in high school, especially, that didn't always want to conform. Not because I wanted to be rebellious, because that wasn't always it. I mean, sometimes it was, but most of the time it wasn't. But it was just that I thought, like, is there another way to do this thing? And uh, I think a, a lot of that got developed a weird place, but really in the math classroom. I was really into math when I was in high school and I was in an advanced math program where I got to take calculus one and calculus two while I was in high school. And the teacher we had was absolutely incredible, probably one of the most important influences in my life. And one of the things that he always showed us was that there's no one way to solve a math problem. There are countless ways and we all bring our personalities and our unique creativity to a problem. And I think that just this kind of thinking of like, there's always a different way to do something just kind of made me question a lot of things. Like, does it have to be this way? 
Now, don't get me wrong. Like I went to university and then all of a sudden I got, I fell very in love with the traditional definition of success, get my degree, get great grades, you know, get an awesome, like, you know, job offer coming out of university and then start the corporate path, move up to corporate ladder, all of that kind of stuff. But about a few years into that, four years to be exact, more or less, I realized like, gosh, I'm not sure this is exactly what I want. And I think that that part of me that at least was willing to ask the question, is there another way? Might there be something else that I'm interested in? Can I experiment with something while I'm doing this day job? Got me on a path where I said, you know what? Let me test some things out. And the test that I ran back then was teaching math part-time after my nine to five job. So I'd get home, I'd go right to the learning center, I'd teach some math, and I had an absolute blast. And that kind of put me on a path. But I think all of that really goes back to Mr. Diaz's calculus classroom and the impact that he had on my life back then. As far as when you made that decision, like I want something different, and you said it was like 2005, 2008, something like that, where you yep. made that choice. What was happening right at that time? Do you remember the things that were happening that made you say, okay, I need to, I need to try something else? Yeah, yeah. So in 2005, it was, this was before I did the part-time job teaching math. My first reinventions were actually uh, in health, wealth, and relationships. So health-wise, like I weighed the most that I had ever weighed, and I really just wasn't happy with where my body was, where my energy was, and all of that. Financially, I was in a lot of debt, and it was just, you know, I, I was basically living so that I could work and pay off my bills. And that was pretty much it. And I was in a relationship that just wasn't right for me anymore. We had been together for many years before that, most of my time at university. And we had just grown apart. We were not the same people that we were when we met when we were like 18, 19. And so it just wasn't a good relationship, but I also didn't know how to get out of it. And I was in a job that was kind of okay, but had some really tough moments where I just realized like, I'm not sure like this is what I want out of life. Like, this is not what I imagined when I was kicking butt in university and doing incredibly well in school. And I'm like, this is life. Like after university, like I'm in my job, like I'm doing a thing. I, I spend two to three hours driving to and from work because it was about an hour, hour and a half each way. And I, I'm not totally in love with what I'm doing. It's okay at times. Some people like my supervisor didn't treat me very well. I, I don't think he was ready to be a supervisor. And so he saw it as like just a bit annoying, I think, to have these two young guys he had to like look after probably thought he was babysitting us. And so there were a lot of things like that, plus the health, wealth and the finances and the relationship all being out of alignment, something felt wrong. And I had an opportunity to move. And I had an opportunity to take a new job in another city in another division of the company. And I thought, maybe this is a good thing, maybe just an all out change. And when I did that, and I got to, I went from North Carolina to Missouri, specifically in St. Louis, I decided this is my chance. I'm going to do something about it. I'm in a new place. I get to start new habits. Let's get on this. And so I started with health and I enrolled in a gym and just started going every day. I didn't do anything spectacular. I didn't have a personal trainer, couldn't afford one, but I was able to at least get on a treadmill and just start running. And then we'll right. figure out where that goes. Eventually I added the stair climber. I added like the elliptical, I did some stretching and eventually I got to lifting, but I just went every single day. And that really just made a big difference on my health. I, I had a lot more energy. I felt stronger than ever. I was like, wow, this is really good. And it took time, of course, it didn't happen overnight. Relationship wise, after several months, you know, I got the courage to like, get out of that relationship, because it just wasn't working. And it was better for both of us to not to actually walk away from this. 
And then financially, I just actually started parking cars after my nine to five job. So like on evenings, I would go to a Greek restaurant and I would park cars until about one in the morning. On weekends, it was about two or three in the morning, depending like how late they were open. And that was like just, you know, to help pay down that debt, that student loan debt and help me get out of that a little bit more quickly. So those are the first real like areas where I reinvented my life. My career reinvention didn't really happen until 2008 when I felt like I had this really good foundation. You know, I was in a relationship that I I was really excited about that was right for me. My finances were not cured. You know, parking cars does not erase 150,000 in debt, (laughs) but it does get it under control. You know, I found a way to get it under control. And then as far as like, you know, my health, I felt better than ever, you know, and all of that. And so with a strong foundation, I was able now like three years later to say, okay, cool. Now I can look at this other thing. And that part-time job really got me thinking. I have so much, I'm like, I'm in love with these six to eight hours that I spend teaching math. And now I want to like take that and do more with it. I just didn't know what more was, but I knew I needed to do more. And so that 2008, I started thinking about the next reinvention because that job was just, I just got so much fulfillment out of six to eight hours a week. It was crazy. You got 50 to 60 hours in this other thing and, and it's all right. And by the way, at that point in time, my client, I was in a national account sales. My client was Anheuser-Busch. I went to all these amazing cities, all their parties. It was just like incredible, a dream job for somebody who's like 25, 26. And at the time I was single, so I'm like even more fun, but it just got to a point where it was no longer aligned with me. And there was something about these six to eight hours making 15 bucks an hour that I was just absolutely in love with. And I drew so much fulfillment. So those are kind of the tipping points in both 2005 and 2008 that set me on a path. All right. Now, you mentioned math before. And math seems to be, when I look at some of your past roles, it seems like math, coaching, and entrepreneurship seem to be like constants throughout your career. So could you talk about how each discipline has kind of contributed to your growth? Yeah. So, you know, as far as teaching math, I, of course, followed my passion when I was doing that part-time job and decided to continue going down that path. I went back to school. I got a master's degree in psychology. I got an MBA, and I did both of those programs at the same time. One was a part-time and the other was a full-time program. But then I finished those programs up and I was figuring out, like, what do I do next? I had this tutoring company I had started while I was in school and where I got to work with my own math students and at, at a higher rate than I was getting paid at the learning center. At this point, I had already moved away from the learning center and started doing my own thing. But then I was just like, okay, now I've got these two extra degrees. I've got a lot of time because I'm not in school anymore. What do I do with this? And I was able to land a job at inner city public high school back home, like in New Jersey. And I was in St. Louis at the time. And I was able to land this opportunity to teach high school math. And so I said, you know what, let's do it. Let's give it a shot. And one of the reasons that I was inspired to get into teaching as well was because I was starting to also become interested in public speaking. I had done a little bit of that while I was working on um, my master's in psychology and my part-time MBA. One of the jobs I had during that time, I had to run a student leadership development program and I needed to deliver some of the talks for the group. And so I had started building out material and I had a lot of fun doing it. I thought this could be something that I do more with. I didn't know exactly what more meant. (laughs) So you're going to hear that a lot because you don't always know what more means. You just know that I like that a lot. I'm going to go figure that out. And when I got into the classroom, I realized, wow, what better way to learn how to speak than to get in front of an audience 
a captive audience that doesn't want to be there because as we know, school is compulsory and not everybody wants to be in a math classroom. And so you really learn how to develop into a speaker when you have to present every single day to a room of people who don't want to be in that room. You learn how to win the room over. You learn how to engage people. Gosh, it became so easy to do this when I got to corporate eventually and went back to corporate getting in front of adults. Like I was like, oh, it's a piece of cake. <laughs> you know, like it's a totally different thing. You guys opted to be here. Like this was an event that was available and you chose to show up today. This is so much easier than working with high school students or middle school students. But those years in teaching, I learned a lot about speaking. I learned a lot about one-on-one -on -one coaching, like spot coaching, like how to leverage what I learned in my master's in psychology or on executive coaching, how to leverage it in the classroom very quickly, you know, like I walk up to you in the classroom and I have a quick, like, I don't know, two, three minutes of an intervention with you to help you out with something. And I was able to learn how to apply coaching at a, like a very rapid rate. So I learned a lot. And then from there, I think that it helped me become a better coach. It helped me become a better speaker, which then came later in life when I had other opportunities. And I had all this confidence because I was like, if you could teach math to middle school girls, because I taught at an all-girls school for one, at one point in right after the high school, after two years of the high school, I did two years at the middle school. If you could teach middle school math to at an all girls school, you know, that age group, tough age group, rewarding age group, amazing age group, because they're so different. Sixth, seventh and eighth grade girls are so different. Sixth grade girls are still little girls. The seventh grade girls are girls becoming women and the eighth grade girls are young ladies at this point. So they're very different stages, so much fun, but also very challenging in a really cool way. And when I learned to do that, I felt like I could speak to any audience. And so, yeah, those experiences really helped me out. And then as far as entrepreneurship, when did that play a part in your reinventions? So I think the entrepreneurship part happened out of necessity at the beginning, early on, when I had to start the tutoring company, it was mostly out of a need for money. I'm like, look, I, I'm on this journey. I'm in school. I need some extra money to pay bills and I don't want to dip into all of my savings. So I need to find a way to earn something. And so I thought to myself, okay, I can go do some odd jobs here and there, which I did. I folded shirts at a mall. I parked cars. I served free samples at a supermarket. I did everything that I could do. I worked part-time for a musician, helping him set up his gigs, I, whatever it was I paid. But I realized that I had this ability to teach math really well, and that commanded a better hourly rate. So I was able to get you know, more you know, income per hour spent. And given that time was kind of, you know, like scarce at the time, since I was studying and doing all these other things, I didn't have that many hours to dedicate. So I started the business. So entrepreneurship, I think, came more as necessity. I didn't even consider myself an entrepreneur when I did the tutoring business. I just thought, oh, good. I found a way to make more money. <laughs> like that was it. Like I was like, yeah, I get to yeah. pay my bills now, or I get to not dip into my credit cards as much. So that, mm -hmm. was, that was really it. I didn't really think about entrepreneurship until I... Like much later when I started to get involved with events like Startup Weekend, where people learn how to start a business from a raw idea in two and a half days in a boot camp style event, that's when I then kind of felt like, oh, wow, let's see what this entrepreneurship thing is about. Little did I know that I had gone through all the steps when I started my tutoring business. You know, you got to put out feelers, you got to experiment, you got to talk to potential customers, you know, you got to test ideas out to see what works, what doesn't. And then you kind of develop the idea from there. But I didn't consider myself an entrepreneur even then. So before we get to the, the school of reinvention, I'm curious about, could you just take us briefly through 
start us from the MBA and just hit the waypoints that you hit on your way to where you are right now? So when I graduated both graduate degrees, I actually spent a year kind of a bit lost. I stayed in St. Louis. I didn't actually leave right away. That teaching opportunity at the high school didn't happen right away when I graduated. I was just trying to figure things out. I ran more business experiments. I did a little bit of social media consulting. I tried to get some of my own speaking gigs. Nothing was really taking off. I had a couple here and there, but nothing that was really like paying the bills. And I did a little bit of consulting for someone, a mentor of mine who was launching a business. And I kind of just helped him out with that a little bit. Wasn't what I wanted to do forever, but you know, I, I, I helped him out a little while. So I spent a year just kind of, I call it like a year that I spent being lost, but in a productive way. I was doing things. I was trying things. And then I decided it was time to move back home. Home for me was New Jersey. That's where I grew up. And I thought, let me get back close to family again and all of this. And so I came back to New Jersey. And when I hit the ground, I started like looking for opportunities. And within like about 30 days, I came across a school district and I met them like at a random place, actually. A buddy of mine invited me to a golf outing and they had like a luncheon and I didn't even really know how to play golf. So I really sucked actually. (laughs) So it wasn't my golf skills that got me the opportunity, but it was just a really good conversation during the luncheon. And I met mm-hmm. somebody who worked for the school district and she asked, oh, what do you do? And I said, well, I really, I just relocated here, but I take students who are struggling in math, like massively struggling from like failing. Like I bring them up to like B's and A's. And she was like, really? Like, I want to introduce you to somebody. And she introduced me to the superintendent of a school district in Northern New Jersey. And I had a conversation with him for like two minutes before he just cut me off. And he looks at the other person, this woman and says, Linda, I want you to set up an appointment with this young man in the next like week or something like that. I was kind of like, am I still here? Like what's happening? Like, what's the deal? <laughs> well, I had that meeting with him and he asked me like, how can you help us? We're struggling in math. I've got two schools failing in math right now. And I want to hear how you can help. And I just pitched him a bunch of ideas and he, he liked one of them. And he said, all right, I'm going to bring you in as a consultant, but you're going to teach a lot as part of that gig. And I really want you to just figure your way out. And so I was able to get into teaching and that's how I got into the high school. So I did a lot of teacher coaching. I created intervention programs for students that were really struggling in math. I also taught a couple of classes on my own and I got to do a lot of those things there. And then eventually they actually had to cut me. So two years into this amazing experience that had literally like, I'm like, wow, I just engineered my dream job, you know, getting to do all of this incredible work. And he had to cut me because the budgets, the state budgets got cut. And he's like, I can't afford to keep you on anymore. I understood, you know, I respected his decision. He gave me a heads up too and all of that, but it wasn't enough of a heads up. It took me a minute to find the next thing, but it turned out to be the middle school. And I got to go and teach for a couple of years. After that, I then got recruited by IBM after only two years at the middle school. And I spent four years at IBM until 2020 when they laid me off, like right during the pandemic. They were making massive shifts in their business lines and cutting a lot of different um, parts of the business. And I happened to be in the wrong place, you know, um, at that moment. And so I got laid off as well. And it was through that layoff and going through that journey and realizing that, wow, like a lot of people are going to be reinventing themselves right now. And I ended up actually spending my last 30 days running a reinvention mastermind at IBM to help the other people who got laid off. And so I thought, you know what, I know I've been out there on the journey, so I can figure this out. But at IBM, there were a lot of people who had worked there for like 10, 20, 30 years. For many, this was their only job. And all of a sudden, now they have to go out there and find a job. Imagine how hard it is, you know, 
if you haven't been in the job market for five years, a lot has changed. Imagine if it's been 10 or 15 or 20. I met somebody who had been at the company for 42 years. I'm like, dude, you've been here longer than I've existed. This is incredible. (laughs) But it's also a massive change for, for someone like that. You know, the job market was not the same back then, you know, and it was a very different experience. So these folks were about to go through some forced reinvention. You know, they weren't prepared for it. And so I thought maybe I could help. So I started an internal mastermind and ran it over the last 30 days. We all had the same 30 days at the company, Mm -hmm. the same last 30 days. And so I got to do that. And that kind of inspired, like, I wonder what else I could do with reinvention. I wonder if I can help other people get on the same journey that I've been on for so many years now. Maybe I can help people do that. And maybe I could do this for a living. And so it took about two years even (laughs) until I finally arrived at the current iteration of it, which I'm about to soft launch in a month or so. And this is the iteration that feels most aligned with my values, my passion, and my purpose. And that gets me super excited. The last couple of years has really been a journey to figure out what's the right model for the school of reinvention that gets me excited, where I can be at my best and offer the most value to people who want to get onto the journey. And now I feel like I've hit it. I got it. Now I'm building it out. And in a month, I get to soft launch this thing along with my own podcast, which I'm really excited to also launch. And, you know, it's going to be great. And then I got a book coming out in September and everything is, you know, it's all reinvention. So it's all coming together. It's, it's kind of cool to see how these steps along the journey and all the different things that I've done, speaking, coaching, working at these different types of institutions, public and private schools. I mean, I even got other jobs. I've taught at, you know, University of Pennsylvania. I, t- I teach at Sarah Lawrence College. All of these things happened along the way even in like parallel, you know, like UPenn and Sarah Lawrence happened while I was at IBM, you know, so these are things that came along and I just figured, you know what, this is aligned with what I love teaching. So I'm doing it. Even if it is extra time and extra work, we're going to do it. So School of Reinvention, what you're going to soft launch, what are you going to offer there? And what kind of people should be coming to this, this School of Reinvention? I want to start off by describing this, starting by saying what it's not. So okay. what, I, what I'm trying to create is an alternative to traditional coaching. So when I first started working with my own coach one-on-one, you know, the, the contract amount for the whole year was pretty high. I was a teacher. It was like in, you know, like the seven, $8,000 range or something like that, which is, you know, what you could expect working with a coach for a year and all of that. And incredibly helpful. And I still have that same coach, by the way, he's been incredible on my journey. What I realized is that there are, when it comes to reinvention specifically, there were other things also happening that really helped me out. For instance, being able to have others on the journey with me, people who were, as I started meeting more people who were doing similar things, I realized I was also learning a lot from them. Like they became part of my path to growth and to development. So it wasn't just my coach. It was also the community that I was working with. There were courses I took, lessons that I learned skills that I acquired that also helped me along the journey to reinvention. And so when I started thinking about what can I do to build a platform that will help people either get onto the journey for the first time, sometimes we need help getting onto the journey. Others feel like, hey, you know what? I'm already on the journey, but I'm a little lost right now. Like I could use a little help here. And those are the two people that I really want to serve the most in the school of reinvention. But I was thinking, how do I add the most value here? And what I realized was that it's kind of like a combination of coaching and teaching and really just time to uh, be around others who are also on the journey. And so what I've built out for the School of Reinvention is something I'm tentatively calling 
community-based coaching. And essentially what I'm doing is I'm thinking, how can I offer a scaled version of coaching where we can do it as a group and not just group coaching, but I'm thinking, for instance, like when I look at what I do as a coach one-on-one with people, there's a few things that happen. One is we work through some of your challenges, right? I ask a lot of questions and I challenge you to think in a way that you're not thinking, which is why you're stuck because you're, you're only asking yourself one or two questions. I'm going to bring three or four new questions and that's going to really start opening you up. That's one of the things we do in coaching. The other is that I also give people time to think. It's amazing how little time we give ourselves to think because we're always trying to be productive. When we're being productive, we can't think. We've got to be doing things. And so for instance, like even when we go on runs or on walks, got to listen to a podcast, got to listen. I mean, listen to this podcast, but got to listen to a podcast, (laughs) got to listen got to listen to an audiobook or you know we're always looking to make sure we're being productive all of those times. And so when I started thinking about that like in my coaching sessions I give people the space the time and space to think. Sometimes I'll ask them a really tough question and their desire is to be able to answer it right away, but I know they can't. I, I just asked you a really tough question. That's my job is to make you really think. And so what I often do is I tell people, "Look, I'm going to turn off my camera for a minute. I'm going to turn off my mic. Take 5 or 10 minutes. I got my headset on. Just say, "Hey, Roger, and I'll be, I'll turn everything back on when you're ready to rock and roll. And so I give them time to think. The other thing is accountability. Coaches help people with accountability, right? Like I get held, you know, to some standards by my coach and I hold other people to standards, you know, as their coach. And that's an important part of coaching as well. So I thought, how do I still offer that value? Just not in a one-on-one setting. This way I can bring down the price, but I can also embrace more of the community part because you don't get that in the one-on-one. And what I decided to do was then I said, you know what? I can build accountability by creating deep work blocks where we all get on a call together and we just work. I learned this from my author uh, course where I'm learning how to write a book and I'm in the process of writing that book. When we were writing the manuscript, we had writing sessions together, group writing sessions. We didn't speak. We just got on. We said, here's my mission for today or for this working block. I want to do this and this or I want to work on chapter two on this topic. And you just put it in the chat and you get to work. Camera's on and we're just kind of doing our work. So I thought, I'm going to do that. I want to borrow that because that's how I can help create accountability from all of my customers. Second, I thought, okay, how do I create thinking time? I go, well, best way to do that is to facilitate some of that thinking through powerful questions, which is what I do as a coach. I'm going to host sessions every month that are dedicated to just thinking. This is not for you to come and work. This is for you to come and think. I'm going to pose really tough questions. I'm going to facilitate time and space for you to answer those tough questions. The kind of questions that make your hand shake as you're writing the response because you're breaking through and it's going to be scary. And then finally, masterminds. Every week, we're going to have a call where we can get on and we can start working through the challenges. You can submit a problem, an opportunity, an idea, whatever the heck it might be. And I am going to prepare some questions and we're going to do a little bit of hot seat time. Not everyone will get to, of course, do that, but we benefit from hearing other people's like, you know, problems, challenges, and helping them work through it. We start to work through our own as well, because, you know, sometimes there's a little commonality there. So I'm trying to recreate coaching, but in a community format. And that's what the School of Reinvention is going to be, because I really want them to have that. It doesn't mean don't have a one-on-one coach. Ideally, have a one-on-one coach and be part of the School of Reinvention. Enjoying this episode? Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. This helps boost the show's visibility and helps others find and enjoy the podcast too. 
Thanks for listening. Now back to the interview. You know, but I know that this part is really important to this community-based coaching because we will need people to lift us up. And it's important that we know who they are, who else is on this journey, who else is walking this journey with us, whatever that their version of the journey might be. It's better to be around them because when we're down, they can lift us up. I learned this the hard way because when I got onto the journey, I thought I had to do it alone. And when you're down, there's nobody to pick you up. So it's really important. And luck, I was very lucky and blessed. I had some really great relationships and there were some incredible women in my life who were there for me during very tough moments. And I was lucky they weren't necessarily on the journey to reinvention, but they were there to lift me up when I needed that. And I realized it's so important to not be alone during this journey. And so I think the community part is really important. So that's why I say, look, if, if you can afford that one-on-one -on -one coaching, also have that, but be part of the group as well, because you're going to get a lot of really powerful things being along the journey with others. I like the model. It's very thoughtful and it's unique. I don't think I've heard all of those concepts kind of packaged together. So we do this podcast, The Follow, uh, to help us all get smarter about culture. And race, ethnicity, and identity play a big part in shaping culture. So in terms of race, ethnicity, identity, how do you identify yourself? Uh, Latino. Okay. Yep. I'm Cuban and Peruvian. And now, how has this identity shaped your work, if, if at all? This is something I've started thinking a lot more about because I think a lot about my upbringing and all of that. And I grew up in an area that was, you know, mostly Hispanic and Latino, like just completely. I mean, actually, Spanish was spoken more where I grew up than English was. So it was a massive culture shock when I went to Penn State University and all of a sudden I'm in the middle of Pennsylvania and I'm like, whoa this is like really different, you know, um, there are a lot of white people like this is different. Like <laughs> I, I went to a high school where we had only two white students, everyone else represented about 35 different countries, because that's just a melting pot of Northern New Jersey, Hudson County, New Jersey is a melting pot and you, everything is here. And so it's such a diverse mix. So it's definitely a big part of me, you know, and all of that in some ways, I feel like you run into some places where it hurts, you know, it hurts you, unfortunately, because, you know, it's not always welcome everywhere. Diversity isn't always welcome everywhere. And that's unfortunate. It's changing, I think. But, you know, I, I'm 41 years old, so I'm luckily not so old that I experienced the really bad parts of it. But I'm not young enough where this was a topic that I came right out of university and, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, all that was all the talk. Like, that's the case now and all of that. So I feel like I got to experience some of a, a different world, you know, a different experience and all of that. So honestly, there were times where I actually try to hide this part of myself, you know, along the journey, I tried not to play up that part too much because it didn't always seem welcome. It didn't always seem like it was helping me. And I'm actually really lucky because my name is Roger. And so when people just see my name on paper, they don't know, you know, cause it's not like my name is like Alejandro or Roberto or something like that. And I really do believe that's actually, to some extent, helped me a little bit during a certain moment. I feel like now it's very different, like, in all of that, and I'm glad it is. But I, I did kind of try to play that down at times, especially when I moved to the Midwest, and I felt like I was really out of place there. So, you know, I think it's shaped me because I've had to overcome some of those challenges of, like, how do I fit in in a place that is so radically different from where I grew up, which had benefits to it in that I think I've learned how to adapt. I've learned how to be among others. 
you know, even though it was uncomfortable at first, but I learned that I learned that at Penn State when I went there, it was uncomfortable and all of that. And, but I learned how to, you know, connect with people who were different than me, who grew up under, very, you know, in very different circumstances. Sometimes they were Latino or they were black or they were anything else, but they, but they grew up in very different environment. I grew up in an inner city and the projects and all of that. And I remember this one guy that I, a good friend of mine who was, I think he was Dominican and, but he grew up in the suburbs and he came to visit me one time where I grew up and like, he was really nervous being around there. Like, it was just like, oh, this is really weird for me. So, you know, those differences and all of that, like you find them, you know, you could still be the same like ethnicity, but you can grow up under very different circumstances and things are very different. So I think being at Penn State helped me learn how to connect with other groups. And I really sought that out. I, I was very intentional about that. There were, of course, like, you know, Latino groups and all that that you could be a part of. But I actually try to stay away from that because I felt like if I go to those groups and I'm kind of like back home and this is an opportunity to really stretch out, you know, and all of that. And and I know that the intentions were great when these groups, you know, are formed. And I know those intentions were important and for some necessary as still at that point. But I was really ready to like I wanted to explore other groups. And so Penn State afforded me that opportunity. It was really good. And then when I went to work. I lived in North Carolina for a little bit, and then I spent like seven years in the Midwest, and I started connecting with others and all of that. So I feel like while it was a challenge at the beginning, you know, and I didn't always feel like I connected or like I fit in, it helped me learn how to do that. How do you think having that background helps you with the School of Reinvention? That adaptability, that ability to connect with so many different people, how does that help you as you teach others how to reinvent? I, I think that's it right there. It's the connection with others. I feel like because of that very different upbringing, I had the opportunity to learn how to connect with most people. There's a reason why we say that like the top 10% or whatever and all of that, because the majority you know, of people are not like super wealthy. And so I grew up among the majority. So I actually, I think I learned how to connect with the majority of people. So when I travel around the world, I feel like I'm able to see and hear people who come from a very different type of background, you know, who, you know, maybe found their way to that conference. And it was a massive stretch for them to even be at that conference or be at that event, because they don't really have the money to be there. Maybe they won like some contest or competition to get to go there or something like that. And I noticed that right away. Like, I know that you feel out of place because <laughs> I felt exactly like you once upon a time. And I know, and I know you and I see you and, and I recognize you and let's talk. Let's like, you know, and so I, I really, like, I feel like it has helped me connect with more people. And I'm really grateful for it. Actually, I, ne I would never change a thing. Because anytime I've traveled, I've been able to connect with anyone. And I feel like also, it, it's impacted just my desire to help people at all levels, wherever they might be. Because again, I've connected with all different types of people, people who were wealthier than me, or came from very different types of upbringings. And, you know, people who were poorer than me as well all of that has allowed me now to like really know how to work with others. So I, I'm, I feel really lucky that I've learned how to adapt. I've learned how to connect with different groups that I've learned how to appreciate what it's like, you know, to, to come from certain up of uh, some certain situations because I can spot that now in a room and I, and really appreciate that and make, and I want somebody to feel comfortable. If I'm in the room, I want them to feel comfortable. If I'm speaking up on stage, I want them to feel comfortable. I want them to feel, I want everybody to feel seen and heard no matter where you're from, because there were many times I didn't feel seen or heard. And so, you know, I, I want to bring that to audiences. Fantastic. I, I really, really enjoy that. 
So now, since, you know, since this is called the follower, let's talk a little bit about uh, social platforms. So what's your favorite social platform to spread your work and, and why is it your favorite? I think LinkedIn is probably my favorite because when it comes to reinvention, a lot of times that kind of thinking comes with career and your work. And so if you're thinking about that, chances are you're spending a little bit more time on LinkedIn than other platforms. That said, I am also starting to embrace more video. So Instagram and TikTok, actually, most recently, I, I just started a TikTok account. So I'm so late to the TikTok game. But, <laughs> you know, like I, I'm, I'm embracing video as a way as, uh, to communicate with people and to be able to help them out on their journey. I only have like three posts on it, but, you know, it's a really, it, it's a fun start. And I'm exploring that a little bit more because I'm starting to realize that people are on other platforms as well, looking for this kind of help. And it's not always LinkedIn. Because it's not always about reinventing your career. You know, sometimes like my own start to reinvention was health, wealth, and relationships, not career. Career came later. These were the three areas that were pressing for me first. So I probably would not have been on LinkedIn looking for another girlfriend or, you know, looking for like uh, a part-time job or, you know, like trying to figure out how to get in better shape. LinkedIn would not have been the platform for that. I probably would have been on other platforms. And so, you know, if they had existed back then, <laughs> that was 2005, right. we only had right. Facebook. So, uh, and MySpace, if anybody listening to this remembers that. I, I do. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, you know what I'm talking about. So I think yeah. that for me right now, it's LinkedIn, but it's starting to shift more to Instagram and even TikTok. Mm. And do you remember the moment when you realized people are starting to pay a little more attention to you on LinkedIn? Yeah. So it, you know, I've been on LinkedIn for... I think 12 years now, maybe even a little bit longer than 12 years, maybe 13, 14 years, almost like since they were a startup, I got onto LinkedIn. And my journey to on LinkedIn has been quite different. There were moments when I was really involved back in like, I remember 2008, 9, 10, when I was in school working on my master's degrees and starting, you know, little businesses to make extra money and all of that. I knew I was interested in teaching math, obviously. And so I actually got involved in math groups. And groups were actually quite active back then. Groups have kind of had their, like they've died down and they kind of come back up. They're not great. I think they're not so great right now because there's other places for groups to assemble. But back then, LinkedIn groups were amazing. And there was so much deep engagement and I was actively involved. They actually had this thing where you, at any given time, they ranked the top three kind of people in the group, the top three contributors of the group based on engagement, based on all sorts of engagement measures, right. uh, not just posting. And I remember I used to be in the top three for uh, several math groups. And it was awesome because people would reach out from all over the world, like math professors and all of that. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm not a math professor. I don't have a degree in math. I don't have anything in math. I accept a passion for teaching it. And I'm teaching like high school math, you know, middle school stuff. Like, but it was really cool to connect with those folks. So I had moments like that on LinkedIn. And then I had periods where I just posted every so often, you know, maybe like from an event here, an event there. And, you know, I noticed that people paid attention to that. I think they, you know, they were excited about my journey and some of the events that I got to speak at, but it was only in the last maybe year-ish, maybe year or so where I started posting more about reinvention and really working to create content, not just sharing my updates, but like, can I create content that helps people as well? Just the content on its own you know, can that be helpful? And that's when I started working. And I've started noticing that since about last year, when I started uh, doing a lot more writing, 
blogs and things like that, that's when I started seeing a lot of engagement. And I realized, wow, there's something there. Like, I think, you know, this is resonating with people. The topics are connecting with people. So, you know, I got to keep going. And now, you know, I've got these different types of posts, quotes, or small little nuggets, like so shorter form content. And I'm realizing that that's helping too. So I'm constantly just trying to find like what works best and, you know, do more of that. Test and learn, test and learn. Yes, exactly. Speaking about the personal development career change space, are there any trends in these spaces that you're particularly excited about? Or are there certain trends that you would like to start yourself? I think that the learning is becoming more community-based. So my version of it with coaching is building off of that, seeing the, seeing the, the movement in community-based you know, learning where, uh, you know, cohort-based learning, where you've got groups of people doing things together, learning things together. And so I think that's a really cool thing because it's bringing the best of technology and what we know from even just like university experiences. University experiences, like traditional in-person university experiences are cohort-based. And there's something really powerful about the cohort. But when you combine that with technology and great content creators, people who are obsessing over creating outstanding content, you've got like an incredible formula for success, for like learning success. And I think that that, you know, when I look at like the university offering, and then I look at something like what, I don't know, um, I'm trying to think, um, Tiago Forte with uh, um, building a second brain and what he's doing there with his cohort-based program or Ali Abdal with uh, part the YouTube part-time YouTuber Academy or another cohort-based program or the one that I went through for writing a book, you know, the Creator Institute. These programs, I'm like, I, I'm just seeing like, wow, what a great combination of technology and the magic of cohorts. You can create outstanding programs that really deliver a, like a very powerful result. I think Actually, colleges and universities really need to start looking at this. And I work for them. So I know like this, <laughs> this is something I've been bringing in and testing out. I've been testing models like this at Sarah Lawrence, where they've really, you know, given me a lot of flexibility and space to test different models. And you, you get to create something much better when you combine asynchronous and synchronous learning opportunities. When you figure out what is best delivered through video, like pre-recorded on-demand video, um, and also coming up with different kinds of challenges. It's not all about just learning from books and all of that, textbooks that is, and, and lectures and all of that stuff. It's also doing, you know, a lot of these programs, I think what makes them so successful is that they have a tangible outcome. So very excited about cohort-based courses, which is what has inspired my community-based coaching platform. Now, what's next? What's next for you? Could you tell us a little bit about your podcast and Anything else around your, your soft launch that you're excited about? Yeah. So June's going to be a big month because the podcast will launch by then. The podcast is meant to cover stories of reinvention, but also there'll be some like episodes that are dedicated to teaching a lesson or a strategy or a skill, but the majority are going to be stories of reinvention. Just, you know, I want to hear people's like moments, like the moment they decided to get onto the journey. You know, what was that tipping point? The other thing that is, you know, of course, I've got coming out is the school of Re the next iteration of the school of reinvention will launch officially, uh, and then finally there's the book which comes out in September. So I am in the editing and revisions phase right now, which is just like wow, a lot of freaking work, 
But I learned something that, you know, the publisher teaches us that great books are not written, they're rewritten. Yep. Yep. And that mm-hmm. is so powerful. You're like, whoa, okay. So I know this is also the most important phase of writing the book. And now I'm yeah. seeing it. Fantastic. Okay. A lot, a lot of interesting, exciting things coming up. All right. So final few questions. Since we are first and foremost an advertising agency, we always want to know, are there any organizations and brands that you would love to partner with and to support the causes that you care about? Yeah, I think that there are, there are many out there, you know, because I've been thinking about what was most helpful to me, you know, on the journey. Like, what were some of the ideas, the platforms, the tools, the the resources that really helped me along the way? And so there there's countless actually uh, tools and products that have helped me. But one of them that really has inspired me quite a bit ever since it came out, and it's a little more recent, is like for instance, Masterclass. Masterclass has been such an incredible source of inspiration because there's something about learning a topic from one of the best performers in it. And they don't have to be great teachers. They just got to tell you like what they're doing and like the story of how they got there. And when you hear that, you're just hearing something that is like at another level. You know, you're hearing Martin Scorsese talking about like his journey to becoming a world-renowned filmmaker. What an incredible set of stories that he just, and there's, and there's learning in that. So I feel like that's like the kind of platform that I, you know, as I start to think, who do I want to partner with? Who do I want to be able to like say, hey, I've got like promo codes for them. Like, you know, so I can help people get onto those platforms more quickly and for a lower price point so that they can see the value that I got out of it too. I also started thinking about, okay, you know, the other one is uh, that comes up to mind is Corporate Quitter. And so Gabby Ianiello, who, uh, who I did an interview with her for her podcast, She's got all all these products around helping people make the decision to quit their jobs. And that's a big one, right? And I love that she's focused so much on that specific part of it. And so she's somebody I want to partner with, because when I think about like, how can I help somebody with that specific decision? Let's say they, I'm working with a client or somebody in the school of reinvention, and they get to the point where like, this is what I must do now. I'm ready to do this, but I need help in doing it. Boom corporate quitter. Like we got to partner up. We got to get you talking to the corporate quitter because that's where they are best. They've got a great community for that. They've got great tools and resources, lessons, all that good stuff. So I'm starting to discover all of these different partners that I think will help people in different parts of the journey as they go through it. All right. And since we're called to follow, who are you following right now? Would you say? Whoever comes to mind, top of your head. Yeah. Well, Corporate quitter, uh, Gabby Aniello. Like I have been, I've started really obsessing over her this year. Uh, she's become a great person to follow. But other people that I tend to always follow, like you know, pretty regularly, Tony Robbins. He's been a big inspiration. I've been to several of his events. He's really his work and his programs have really helped me stay on the journey and make massive progress on the journey. So he's someone that I'm always listening to. And right now, actually, I just finished listening to an incredible audiobook. So it's not really following him, but I kind of followed him for the last like two weeks of listening to his audiobook, Phil Knight, Shoe Dog, hmm. and that memoir on his life, bringing, bringing Nike to life. Wow. Hmm. Had hmm. me, I, I finished the last chapter today, like yeah. right here in this spot where I'm at right now. And I, I couldn't stop listening to it. Normally, I turn it off when I walk into the apartment, but yeah. I had to keep looking. I was so close to the finish line. I'm like, I got to hear the rest of the story. And had me just in tears, like right here, just bawling. Mm. 
you know, yeah. I, I want to learn more from him now. Now I'm curious about other parts of the story that didn't make it into the book. So I'll probably be looking for more on him as well. Finally, where can we all follow you on social media? Yeah, you know, Instagram and Twitter, it's at Roger Osorio. LinkedIn, Roger Osorio. So linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Roger Osorio. TikTok, a little different, Roger underscore Osorio. My website, rogerosorio.com. And that's where I'm really putting everything that I'm working on. So School of Reinvention can be found there. My blog can be found there. When I start the pre-sale campaign, which probably by the time this episode launches, that'll be up on the website. So all of these things will be will live in that site. Uh, since you did mention TikTok, I mean, what are you excited about um, getting into over there? Any dance challenges and stuff like that? Or is it more just straightforward, you know, more of your, your <laughs> content and your passionate content? Yeah, you know, I don't think I'll be doing the dance challenges or anything just yet. Um, <laughs> yeah. We'll see. We'll see. You never know, right? Like, never say never. So, like, you might see that in a year and you're like, ah, oh, look, he's, look what he's doing. He's, <laughs> he's twerking. He's twerking on camera already. Um, we'll see. But for me, it's really about, like, how can I just start sharing more of my journey as I'm going through it? I feel like TikTok's a great platform, at least from what I'm learning on it and spending a little bit more time on it. It's a great platform for just sharing what's happening on the journey as it's happening. And just to be a little bit like more just, you know, like straight up, like, hey, I just like, you know, got smacked in the face with something that happened, something didn't work out or wow, this cool opportunity just came up or I just had a breakthrough. I feel like it's a great platform for that. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find the role models, like people that I really want to follow that I can learn from and I can see what they're doing. That adds a lot of value to people so that I can, you know, mimic some of that. Fantastic. Well, Roger, that is all the questions I have. Is there anything? that you want to share? Yeah, you know, the only thing I want to do is leave people with this one idea because a lot of times reinvention, when it comes to reinvention, people think it's about becoming someone else. And it naturally seems that way, right? If you just think about it, like the pure definition of the word, it feels like it's really about becoming someone else. But one of the biggest things that I've learned along the journey, perhaps the most important thing is that reinvention has nothing to do with becoming someone else. And it has everything to do with becoming who you really are. So reinvention is really a process of getting closer and closer to who you really are and what your values are, your passion and your purpose. So that's why I think I just want to leave everyone with that thought, because I want you to really think about that as you start thinking about reinventions. Chances are, if you're considering one, it's probably a step in a direction that's more aligned with who you really are. And that means you must do it. That means it's important. If you know that's closer to who you are, do something, take any small action, even run a small experiment in that direction. Mm, fantastic. And I think that's where we will end. Thank you, Roger, for being on the show. We very much appreciate it. My pleasure, Keith. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to this. And thank you so much for that opportunity. Thank you, Roger, for being here and taking the time to share a little bit of your world with us. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to The Follow, a multicultural podcast from creative agency Sanders Wingo. For show notes, past episodes, or to get notified when a new episode comes out, visit thefollowpodcast.com. And if you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. It boosts the show's visibility so other people can find and enjoy it as well. Until next time, take care.